we are looking at before and after, our life before we got saved, and our life after we got saved. And today we look at the title in particular as we deal with Jesus before and after, it is finished. And so in John chapter 19, we begin reading here in verse 16, where it says, finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. And of course, he's talking about Jesus here, Pilate being the Roman governor over the province as they have it in the Roman Empire of Israel. And now Jesus has been put on trial and he's found guilty by Pilate. And now he's being handed over to the people, to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Now he is in their hands. Carrying his own cross, Jesus, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha, the place where they would crucify people, a place where they would take the criminals of the world and crucify them there as they had a slow, agonizing death, paying the penalty for their crimes. Well, verse 18 then, here they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. And so there they were crucifying two other, as they knew it, criminals. And Jesus they considered a criminal. And they crucified the three of these people that day. And there they were watching them and crucifying them. Recently the crosses we had out here by the road were beginning to rot and deteriorate in the ground and needed to be taken down and re- replaced. And so the fellow that was building them uh, he had the task of rebuilding or taking new materials and building three new crosses out there. And he called me one day. He'd already bought the materials and got ready to put them up or got ready to build them. And he called me one day. He said, now, those others that were up, the one in the middle was taller than the other two on the sides. Do you want the one in the middle to be taller than the other two or you want them all the same height? I said, all the same height. He said, well, usually when you see three crosses like that, you see the one in the middle taller than the other two. He said, why is that? I said, usually people are thinking in their own minds, the one in the middle was Jesus, which it says in Scripture it was, but that he would have had a special place for him to be crucified on the cross, therefore a taller one. I said, not true. I said, he was considered a common criminal of the day, no different than these other two people, one on each side of him. And so his cross would not have been taller. His cross would not have been bigger. His cross would not have been different because as far as the Roman soldier was concerned and Pilate was concerned, he was just a common criminal to be crucified. I said, build them all the same height. And so he did. And so you may have seen the difference. You may not have noticed the difference, but nevertheless, that's why it came about as his question arose about the size of the crosses. Well, here he was being crucified, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Well, verse 19, Pilate had, no, had a notice prepared and fastened it to the cross. He made a sign and put it above the cross for people to read as they came by, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And so that was part of the reason he was being crucified, because as they said, he claimed to be King of the Jews, and so Pilate took it in as truth and said, okay, we'll just put a sign up. We're crucifying the King of the Jews. Well, verse 20 goes on to say, Many of the Jews read the sign for the place where Jesus was crucified. was near the city, talking about the city of Jerusalem. And the sign was written in three languages. Aramaic, the common street uh, language of the people of Israel. Latin, the common language of the Roman Empire. And Greek, the common language of the Greek Empire, which preceded the Roman Empire. But nevertheless, people in that general area spoke these three languages. And so in order to 
make sure everybody understood and read what it said, uh, he had it put in three languages, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Well, verse 21, we have a problem now. The chief priests and the Jews protested to Pilate. So the people that had actually brought him before Pilate said, we don't have the authority to crucify him. We have the authority as religious leaders over Israel to see that he's sentenced and to see that he's guilty, but we don't have the authority to crucify him. You do, Pilate. That's why we're coming to you in the first place. You wrote this sign. You put this sign over, but you made a mistake, Pilate. You wrote, and we're saying, do not write the king of the Jews. That's not right, Pilate, but you should be writing this man claimed to be king of the Jews. That's what we want you to do. Take the sign down, write on the sign, this man claimed to be king of the Jews. Don't put he was king of the Jews. He's not our king. And Pilate said, really? (laughs) Verse 22, he answered, what I've written, I've written. It's a done deal now, fellas. Leave here. You, You bothered me with this whole thing. I didn't find him to be guilty in the first place, but I had to carry through with it because things were said, things were done, and it's done now. So the sign's up. Just get out of here. Leave me alone. We're, we're through with this issue. Well, verse 23 goes on. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them with the undergarment remaining. So there's four soldiers crucifying Jesus. They stripped him of all his clothes. He's hanging there on the cross completely naked. They took all his clothes off of him, and they divided them into four parts, four shares. Each one took a part of it. But then they had one, the undergarment, which was one piece of clothing uh, remaining. This garment was seamless and woven in one piece from top to bottom. Verse 24 goes on to say, they said, these four soldiers said, you know, they've each gotten part of his clothing. But they said, let's not tear it. Let's not take his undergarment, tear it into four pieces, because then it would be useless to all of us. They said to one another, let's decide by lot who will get it. In other words, let's gamble for it. Let's take the last piece of clothing that belonged to Jesus' underwear and let's get in front of the cross here and we'll roll dice for it and we'll see who gets it. We'll just gamble for the last piece of clothing Jesus had on him. This happened, though, that Scripture might be fulfilled, which said, they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Scripture had already said that. The prophecy had already said that. Isaiah had already said that, that they would do this in front of him that day. So this is what the soldiers did. Going further, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. So there's Mary, his mother, standing there watching her 33-year-old son being crucified and dying before her eyes. The one she brought into the world as a virgin, the one that she had an encounter with the angel, the one that she had raised and brought into this world Jesus, the Son of God, there she was standing there watching her son die slowly on the cross. But with her was her sister also, Mary's sister. She was standing there with her. But also another Mary named the wife of Clopas, a man in the community of this other Mary. But also a fourth Mary was there, I mean a fourth lady was there, a third Mary uh, named Mary Magdalene. Now, hang on to Mary Magdalene because two weeks from today, we're going to revisit Mary Magdalene uh, there at the tomb. So we're going to see that Mary Magdalene was here at the cross, but we're also going to see that Mary Magdalene was at the tomb. She's going to be the first one there. So these four ladies there in front of the cross watching Jesus die, Mary with people encouraging her and supporting her and helping her to get through this day. Well, verse 26, when Jesus saw his mother there, he's looking around, he finds his mama. And the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, And that's John. 
the one that we're reading from here, John, he doesn't refer to himself as John because John's writing this, so he doesn't refer, hey, I was standing there. He just said, the disciple whom Jesus loved. We find that throughout Scripture that he loved him. And so he's standing there with uh, his mother, and he's standing there with other ladies. He's standing nearby. And so Jesus said to his mother, said to Mary, as he's on the cross, he said, dear woman, here's your son. And he's referring to John because John's writing this afterwards, of course. And Jesus was referring to him as, wait, the son of Mary? You want me to, oh, I get it. The oldest son always took care of their mothers. That's just how the Jewish people did it. Whoever the oldest son was, when the mother got uh, maybe older and maybe the daddy's dead or, or something, the oldest son would take the mother in and take care of her. Well, the oldest son is about to die. And so the oldest son, being Jesus, said, I need somebody else to take care of my mother. John, you're one of my followers. John, I love you. John, you take care of my mother. Dear woman, dear mother, here's your son, John. Later, knowing that all was completed, so the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. So Jesus had one little matter of business to tend to, and that was his mother. Dying on the cross, he's still concerned and, and thinking about his mother. John, you take care of my mother. I'm about to leave this world. You take her in. You take care of her. And John did. We find that John did take care of Mary the rest of her life. Well, later knowing it's all completed, knowing that all was done, knowing that all was finished, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. And so naturally, as he's been through what he's been through for the day, he was thirsty and he was needing some water, something to drink. And so a jar of wine vinegar was there, and they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. So here was something they would have for the people being crucified. They would have this liquid, this vinegar uh, wine, this wine vinegar, this old wine, this wine that nobody else would have wanted, uh, it's there to just at least put some moisture on their mouth and they put it on a sponge, lift it up to him. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it's finished. It's over. It's complete. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And so we see the final moments of Jesus. We see the final moments of his death. We see the final moments of his life. We see the final moments of what he's tending to, what he's talking about and what he's dealing with here in front of all these people that are gathered. We see them gambling for his clothes. We see that he's naked on the cross. We see that he's still concerned about his mother and what's going to happen to her, and realizing that he needs to see that she's taken care of. And so in the end, when it's all said and done, he simply said, it's finished, and he died. And so much for the introduction now we get to the message. Because see, the word, it is finished, is actually one word in the Greek language. It's the word tetelestai. That's the Greek word for it is finished. And so what does that word mean? It means finished, but it means fulfilled. It means all those Old Testament scriptures, all those Old Testament prophecies, all those words that have been predicted about the coming Messiah, the Christ that's coming into the world, it's all fulfilled now. It's all fulfilled in the name of Jesus. It means brought to an end. It means all the life of Jesus, all he came here to do, all the purpose that he fulfilled, all that he accomplished here on earth, it's been brought to an end now. It's all been completed. Whatever, whatever Jesus did, whatever he did while he walked on this earth, whatever he fulfilled from the Father that wanted him to fulfill it, it's all been completed. Everything's been accomplished. Everything he set out to do from birth to death has now been accomplished. 
And finally, literally, the word means paid in full. It would be kind of like this. Imagine Chris is here this morning, so we're going to just pick on him a moment. Sorry, Chris, you're just handy, so hang on. Chris happens to be what we call a plumber. And so if you have something wrong in your house with your plumbing, you would call Chris, and he would come work on your bathtub, your water leak, or whatever else is going on, your faucet, and that sort of thing. So he comes and does the work, and he hands you a bill for $100. And you say to Chris, I can't pay you $100 today. I can pay you $10 a week. Now, if you pay him $10 a week for $100, how many weeks is that going to take to pay it off? Ten? That's right. It's going to take you ten weeks to pay off what he, the work he did for you. So he agrees to that. He doesn't want to. He'd rather have his $100 in his pocket, but he doesn't get to have that choice right now. He gets to have $10 in his pocket and pay you, uh, you pay him $10 a week. So we write up an agreement, say, I agree to pay you $10 a week, and so each week we're paying $10 a week. And finally, the tenth week comes. Every week you pay $10, and he puts it on his little tab there. He says $10 this week, and uh, we got nine more weeks to go, eight more weeks to go, and so on. Finally, that last week comes, and he writes it down, and he takes a stamp, and he dips it in ink, and he stamps that paper, and it says, paid in full. You have finally paid off the debt that you owed Chris, and now he won't come back because he wants his $100 when you come to him. He doesn't want it at $10 a week. No, not really. <laughs> and so that's what the word means. Paid in full. The debt has been paid in full. And so when it reads, it is finished, to Telsai, paid in full, it means this. In the Greek language, it's a, one of those past perfect tense verbs that we've talked about several times. Words like redeemed and uh, salvation saved are all one-time events that have lasting effects. And this word, it is finished, tetelestai, is a one-time event that has lasting effects, meaning this. Jesus would only be crucified one time because that's all it took. A one-time event, one time of crucifixion, one time of Jesus dying on the cross, but it has lasting effects for those who trust in that, those who believe in that, those who follow that, those who are saved through that, those who's uh, accepting of the blood that Jesus shed on the cross for our sins, paying for our sins, the debt has been paid in full. And what he did that day, he took out that stamp, blotted it ink, put paid in full, and it was completed, it was finished, it's over with. It's that past perfect verb in the Greek language which tells us today it's a one-time event with lasting effects. So therefore, when we're saved, when we're born again, when we accept Jesus as our Lord, our Master, our Savior, when we realize that the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross for our sins, paid for our sins, it was paid in full. There's no more debt. There's no more ransom. There's nothing else to look at except it's paid in full. Just as we talked about the word ransom, there's another one of those Greek uh, perfect verbs. It's a one-time event with lasting effects. So we were held, we were kidnapped by sin, Satan, in the world. And for the longest, however many years before we got saved, sin, Satan, in the world held us captive. We were kidnapped by it. And sin, Satan, in the world said, we're holding on to you the rest of your life and throughout eternity. And God said, I can set you free. I can let, I can pay off the kidnapper. I can pay the ransom for you. 
And the kidnapper said, send Satan in the world, said, well, what are you going to give for it? And God said, my son, I'll let my son go to the cross and die for that kidnapped that kidnap person there that really doesn't love me and really doesn't care about me, but I love that person, and I'm going to let the debt be paid in full. And sure enough, this day, that's why Jesus said it's finished. The debt's been paid in full. The kidnapper's been paid off, and we've been set free. And so right at that moment is when we acknowledge and when we recognize our freedom begins because that's when we were set free. On the cross, when Jesus died, it was finished. It was over. It was completed. It was paid in full, stamped on a cross, paid in full for us, our sins. And so today, when we accept this and we understand this, when we acknowledge this, when we agree to say, I follow Jesus, I deny self, take up my cross daily and follow Jesus, we're saying, I accept this paid in full for my sins. Now it's a one-time event. It's only happened one time. It's all that had to happen. And it has lasting effects, meaning that once I'm saved, once I realize my debt's been paid in full, I'm walking in freedom. Now there's nothing that has a hold on me that's grabbing me, that's holding me down against my will. Because now Jesus has set me free. And I'm walking in freedom. And you say, wait, hold on. (laughs) I thought Christians sinned too. You ever seen a Christian sin? You ever known of a Christian sin? Anybody? Some of you raising your hand. Some of you kind of go, yeah, me. Yeah. not calling names right now, but uh, some are just, okay, some are just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but every now and then, every once in a while, I don't know, maybe what, once a year or something, a Christian will sin, won't they? And so when they do, uh-oh, I just lost my salvation. <laughs> I thought I was saved, now I sinned, and now no, I'm not. Nope, wrong. It's a one-time event with lasting effects. It's there, it's said, it's done. We won't lose our salvation because we can't. Scripture says so, not because somebody said so, some book said so, but Jesus said so, the language says so. We don't lose our salvation. So what do we do? What we have to do is always hold on to 1 John 1, 9, where Jesus, where God said, when we sin as a Christian, we confess our sins, we ask God to forgive us for our sins, but not just forgive us, and to cleanse us from our sins and receive the forgiveness that we need, and then what happens? Jesus really beats us up, doesn't he? I mean, he just works us over and he, he beats us up, works us over and says, now don't do that anymore, I'll teach you a lesson. No, he doesn't say that. He says, come on, I forgave you. You, you repented, didn't you? Yeah. You, you asked me to forgive you, didn't you? Yeah. You, you talked to me about it, didn't you? confess, yeah. You agreed with me that what you did was sin, yeah. Well, come on, let's go. We need things, we got things to do. We got places to go. We got people to reach. We got ministry to do. We need to show the world that, okay, you, you stumbled, you, you fell, you, you had a sin in your life, and you asked me to forgive you, and I did. Now, come on, let's go. But so many times, what we do is beat ourselves up, don't we? Oh, I knew it. <laughs> oh boy, now what am I going to do? I sinned last week, and oh boy, you know, I wonder if I'm saved. I, I might not even be saved. I mean, wrong. (laughs) Jesus said, yes, you are. If you had that point in your life that you can go back to and say, hey, on that day, that time, that night, that whatever, I realized when I was saved, I realized when I came to the point of saying, God, I'm a sinner, 
and I know if I die today, I go to hell, but I don't want to. Lord, I want to be saved. I want to be born again. I want to come into your kingdom. I want you to come into my heart, and I want to turn from my sin and turn to you and be saved. And now I just want to deny self, take up my cross daily, and just follow you and live in freedom as a result of what you did on the cross. You paid my kidnappers off that had been holding on to me. Sin, Satan, the world had a grip on me, but you released me from that. You set me free from my captivities, and you let me walk in freedom out in the world in which I live, serving you. Now I live in obedience to you. But yeah, that last week, here I go. And <laughs> but he sets us free from that too. Because he said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So he cleanses us and he moves us on. And we don't have to beat ourselves up because he's already forgiven us. It's kind of like this on forgiveness with God. If we repent, we ask him to forgive, and we move past that, here's what happens. Next week, we go to God and say, hey, remember last Friday I came to you and I asked you to forgive me of this sin? I'm not sure. I'm still beating myself up over it. Let's just do it again to be sure. Well, God would just kind of do this. and have No, He'd probably do this. And, and said, we dealt with this last Friday. Now, why are we talking about it again today? I forgave your sins, and I cast it as far as the east as from the west, and I remember it no more. So why are you bringing it up? We're done with that. We're through with that. One-time event with lasting effects. And so he says, let's move forward. Just get up from your beating yourself up and all this and just come on, let's go. we got things to do, you know, and ministry to do and people to see and just, you know, come on. Salvation is a one-time event with lasting effects because Jesus said, so I finished it. The work's finished. I finished the work, he said. It's not anything we have to do except receive it. And we have to receive it by acknowledging where we are in our life and receiving it from him and letting him do a work in our life that only he can do to change us and make us more like him, that lasting effect. Day after day after day, becoming more like Jesus. So Jesus paid in full our ransom by going to the cross, dying for our sins, setting us free from sin, and then free to serve him. So it's just this process. If you want to use that word and look at it that way, a lot of things happen that day. Paid our ransom in full. Ransom's paid off through his blood, through his death, so that we don't have to die because, see, I don't know if we know it or not, but we're born a sinner. When we come into this world, we're born a sinner, meaning when we come into this world, we're a lost person. And the only way we're going to go to heaven is be a saved person. But we're born a lost person. How do we get saved? Well, through Jesus. And so have you ever known that you don't have to teach a two-year-old how to do wrong? Anybody ever? Do you know that? Why don't you have to teach a two-year-old how to do wrong? There you go. They can do wrong all by themselves. Whether they're 2, 22, or 102, we can do wrong all by ourselves. (laughs) We don't need a friend to lead us the wrong way. We don't even need Satan to lead us the wrong way. We just have ourselves. And so God is the one who has to pay that off and bring us into the kingdom and teach us how to do the right thing. And so here we are. He's paying our ransom by going to the cross, dying in place of our sins because we're a sinner. And he says, I'll pay the price for you. I'll die for your sins for you so you don't have to spend eternity in hell separated from me. I love you and I want to set you free. So he died for our sins, set us free from sin, now free to serve him. And so now we have a new 
person we're obedient to. We're not obedient to sin, Satan, and the world anymore. We now live in obedience to God because of what he did for us. Don't do it because we have to. Don't do it because we're supposed to. We do it because we want to. He did so much for us. What can we do for him? It's a one-time event, but it's got lasting effects. So when we get saved, when we recognize what Jesus did on the cross for us, then the lasting effects is the rest of our life. We then begin to serve him, obey him, do his will, do his work, obedience to his word, living for him and not for self anymore. So the final thing we look at today is simply this. Are we walking in freedom today as a result of what Jesus did for us? So as you look at your own life, as you look at where you are in your life today, would you say you're living in freedom? Freedom to serve Christ? Freedom to speak to Christ? Freedom to live for Christ? Don't you just like the choir up here? You know what I like about the choir? Like these guys back here for one thing with that strong voices they have, you know, they're just putting out those strong voices and deep voices and but don't, don't you like it down here when you see some kind of, somebody kind of moving around a little bit, you know, kind of doing this and maybe not exactly this, you know, maybe it, and they need to come back up and show us how exactly they're doing. They're moving around a little bit and they, they kind of do their hands a little bit and maybe do this a little bit, but smiling a little bit. You know, it's just encouraging. It's building up. It's making us say, Hey, we like to worship. We want to worship and we're living in freedom. They're, they're singing in freedom, not just, you know, just standing there and just, you know, Amazing grace and grace. Yeah. They're, they're, they're singing. They're, the, it's coming out of their mouths. It's a smile on their face. They're enjoying it. They like it. They're having freedom to sing praises to the Lord. But we do too. It's not just them. But they're leading us. They're encouraging us, you see. So are we walking in freedom today? But in God's Word, when we look at God's Word and we see something in there that says, uh, you need to be doing this. Really? Today, I got to do this today. Mm-hmm. You mean like right now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. I'll do it. That's not walking in freedom. Freedom says, here's what I want you to do. Hey, I want to do that. Because what Jesus did for me, because what he paid for me, because he set me free from sin and free to serve, I'll do whatever he wants me to do because he paid for me. He bought me. He owns me. More than that, he set me free. And so now I can go about doing what he wants me to do, serving him because, hey, if whatever he did for me to set me free to where I don't have to go to hell and go to heaven, I'll do anything he wants me to do. Not because I have to, because I want to. I mean, I love him. He loves me. So why shouldn't I want to do something for him, having that freedom to serve and freedom to go and do? So as a result, in our life today, are we living that life of freedom because of what Jesus did for us? Do we find ourselves saying, I want to serve Him. I desire to serve Him. I, I want to do what He wants me to do. I want to please Him. I want to obey Him. I, I just want to be where He wants me to be and do what He wants me to do. Do we find that freedom and say, Hey, <laughs> I'm with Jesus. You just tell me what you want me to do and I'll do it. You did so much for me. You paid for me. You bought me. You set me free. I was going to hell and you set me free and put me on the path to heaven because what you did on the cross, you ransomed to me. You paid for me. One-time event, and it has lasting effects. And it was finished that day. Are we finished today?